Well, hey, everybody, we're here for a really exciting episode. And this is one that, you know, when you think about who you want to have on a podcast to tell their story and uh, who you just really enjoy getting to talk to about their story, uh, there's, there's a guy that I've wanted to have on this podcast for a long time, um, not just because he's got a great story, but because he's a good friend of mine. And uh, so I've got Daryl Kent on with me here today. And Daryl, it's kind of funny when I tell people that we're really good friends. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's we're not the same age. We're slightly different in age. Slightly. Uh, slightly like different. 50? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and we... I'm the old one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. uh, but we ha- have a great friendship and got to know each other through a men's Bible study. And the other thing that I've always enjoyed about our friendship is just the mutual interest we have. Mm-hmm. It's a great picture of the gospel that, you know, we both obviously are trying to follow Christ. We've fought some of the same battles and uh, we have different life experience, but we were brought to the same group and became a great encouragement to each other. And uh, that's kind of what happens in Christ yep. is that uh, you have a common bond with anybody who's trying to follow Christ. Mm-hmm. And it's just been a really great friendship. And so wonderful. I wanted to start kind of at the beginning of your story and have you tell uh, from, from the beginning. And let's just go from there. Okay. Uh, well, first of all, thank you, Cole, for wanting to do this. Uh, sometimes I... Uh, uh, I always want the stage to to talk about uh, victories, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, because anytime uh, we decide and fight for Christ, mm-hmm. we we gotta have victories. Right. And we we get them, but uh, we don't always get them loud and clear. Sometimes. Yeah, not always on the time frame. We oh, never on the time frame. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I I was born and raised in a in a medium income family. My father worked for the Union Pacific Railroad for 40 plus years. My mom was a housewife. Uh, Devout Catholic. I was raised Catholic, went to a Catholic grade school. I think until I was 14 years old, I went to mass six days out of seven. Wow. Until I was 14. Yeah. So, um, uh, and my dad, I just interject here somewhere is that my dad didn't accept Christ until 30 minutes before he died. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, if you can hear me choking up, it's uh, yeah. pretty phenomenal. But um, that was the one thing that uh, made me believe that if you want Christ and Jesus to show up, mm-hmm. he'll show up. Yeah. But you have to you have to be so determined mm-hmm. and so dedicated uh, and so victorious in so many ways, mm-hmm. and we don't always have that, as you right. know. Uh, but anyway, I was if the church doors were open, my mother was grabbing me by the ear and off to church. Uh-huh. Uh, I've sat in more pews and been an altar boy to more services <laughs> yeah. than I can imagine. So, but all of that time uh, in my first ten or twelve years, um, I had a, I think a perfect life is the exact way to describe it. Uh, I played sports. I was victorious and, and celebrated in a lot of ways. And uh, but uh, when I was twelve years old, uh, I had a younger sister at the time. Uh, she was three years younger than I was. Mm-hmm. So when I was twelve, she was nine and. Uh, my mom and dad would go out with friends once every other week or whatever. And uh, not that they didn't trust me by myself, but uh, I was like uh, all big brothers. Yeah. And my sister was like every little sister. Right. Well, <laughs> and every 12-year-old boy. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So um, she, they, they both felt that we needed a babysitter and uh, someone to supervise. And there was a gal that lived about three miles from us and... Um, uh, she was 16, 17. She was a junior in high school, cheerleader, very, very attractive girl. And, uh, of course, at 12 and 9, there was a big difference in bedtimes. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll never forget, she had babysitters for us three or four times, and I'll never forget, uh, she came out of putting my sister to bed, and we were sitting there watching TV, and she sat real close to me. 
I just I remember that is like today. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to figure what, out why. And all of a sudden, she put her arms around me, and you know, just one thing led to another. Mm-hmm. And I was frozen. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I I didn't know what to say or whatever. Uh, the most excitement I ever had is I hit a triple one time. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I'm yeah. trying to figure out why yeah. all these emotions are stirring up in me and everything yeah. else. And then she said something that was, uh, I don't think I heard for probably weeks later. Mm-hmm. She said, uh, would you like to see me without my clothes on? Mm-hmm. And I know I didn't answer. Right. But I didn't say no either. Yeah. You know, and um, I, I was so flabbergasted by that. And the thing about it is, is that uh, after maybe conservatively 2,000 hours of catechism in the Roman Catholic Church, there was no doubt that I knew right from wrong. Uh Uh, But I I truly, I think the the actual word was paralyzed. I mean, Mm -hmm. I just couldn't move or talk or whatever. Well, without going into a lot of details, that happened. And... um, Continued to happen every other week for maybe two and a half years till I was almost 15. Yeah. And uh, the amount of guilt mm-hmm. that I had uh, going to a Catholic grade school, Catholic high school, the amount of guilt that I had um, was insurmountable. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I would spend, I'd lay in bed uh, from the time I'd go to bed until two or three in the morning. Mm-hmm. I would lay there and pray. Ask God to get rid of those thoughts, get rid of this. Just take care of it for mm-hmm. me. And um, I think that one of the reasons, many, many years later, that I actually gave my heart to Christ mm-hmm. and uh, accepted uh, Him for what He was and who He was um, was because I never really got the support or the answers from, for help right. that I needed during that time. And I right. remember as an altar boy going to the pastor of, of our church and uh, having a meeting with him and saying, you know, uh, something's happened and I'd like to talk to you about mm-hmm. it. And uh, like a lot of ministers today, mm-hmm. don't have the tools or don't understand sure. how to address issues. Right. And his answer to me after listening to me for 45 minutes is, was, we need to go to confession and you need to pray. Uh-huh. Um, I did all that thing, all those things a hundred times prior to that conversation. Right. Yeah. And uh, I still didn't have the answers that mm-hmm. I needed or uh, what to do. Well, what that set the stage for is me to be totally addicted to pornography for the next 30 years. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, uh, I went from in my late, early 30s and 40s of owning topless bars. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just what you want to do to a person who's addicted to pornography is you want to invest in one of those. Right. Uh, my investor was, or my broker was excited about it, but all the ministers I knew weren't too excited about yeah, it. Yeah, I would imagine <laughs> so. So that was a different story. But anyway, it started a life that was just, uh, I I think the best way to describe it is it was hell on earth. Mm -hmm. Um, I I just couldn't quit. Uh, And then is when I finally did, uh, which was into my 40s, you know, I accepted Christ. I don't want anything, anybody to believe that I gave my heart to God and it went away. Right. You know, I mean, I, I've had enough prayers in my life in the last 50 years mm-hmm. to know that uh, I've cried out to God a couple of times and said, you know, I've witnessed it, mm-hmm. God. I've witnessed it, Jesus. Yeah. That, you know, people ask to be delivered from something and they're delivered. They mm-hmm. walk out. And, you know, how many times have I prayed to you, cried out to you? Yeah. Uh, and nothing happens. Yeah. So, you know, I, I've always kind of wondered and held it against you, which part of, was part of my problem, right. is why aren't you solving my problem? Uh-huh. And the real story was, is I wasn't trying to solve my problem hard enough. Yeah, and I, I think when you hear stuff like that, it, probably every person who's followed Christ for more than about 20 minutes right. has had a, a scenario like that play out in their life where they're 
asking God for something, um, you don't see God answer in the way that you want him to answer. And it just reminds me that a lot of our lives are more like the parable of the persistent widow Mm -hmm. than anything else. The pray and pray and pray and pray and pray and pray. And Obviously, there's a lot of reasons why God does things that way. Building faith and resilience, and we know that the testing of our faith produces endurance. And you know, that's one thing to read that. It's another thing to live that and be waiting for God. So you're you're in a space where you have prayed, struggling with faith, probably struggling with conscience. Oh. Um, And when you go through life suppressing your conscience for long enough, um, it doesn't necessarily go away. It just moves around a little bit. And so now it's no longer the guilt that you felt as a kid, but you're looking for fulfillment. You're looking for satisfaction as an adult now. Tell us how you came to know Christ. Well, this was kind of a a strange deal. Uh, I had been battling pornography at this stage. Let's see, I accepted Christ 33 years ago. Mm Mm-hmm. So, and I had been battling the, the pornography thing for over 30 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, the guilt, and I, and I was victorious in, in those time frames. Right. Some short, some long. And, uh, but it always cropped up. And I remember when I finally gave my heart to Christ and how that happened was, is that uh, through another business deal, I was involved in a court case in Houston, Texas. And uh, two days before the court case, which had nothing to do with pornography, Mm -hmm. uh, two days before the court case, uh, when I was in Houston, I decided to take a run. uh, And I went over to Memorial Park in Houston, inside the loop. And uh, the track around Memorial is three miles. And so I usually ran it. It was a mile over half a mile over and I'd run three times and run back and mm-hmm. have my 10 miles in uh, just in a blimp that 10 miles I can't even imagine walking 10 miles today <laughs> let alone running it but anyway uh, I'm running around one way of the park and I keep passing who's a gentleman who's walking the opposite direction mm-hmm. than I'm going and he looks so pristine he had the prettiest white shoes I've ever seen. Uh-huh. I know he had to just take them out of the box. Yeah. And he had a Russell black warm-up, cotton warm-up pants on and a sweatshirt. Uh-huh. And uh, literally, I ran by him the first time, and uh, it was almost, it was an audible, just like a voice. Uh, you need to talk to him. And uh, being slow, I ran by him a second time. And the audible was, I'm telling you, you need to talk to him. Mm-hmm. The third time I ran by him, and I got about 50 yards past him, and I stopped cold in my tracks, turned around, ran back up to him, and I said, I don't know why or I'm asking you this or who mm-hmm. you are, but I told him the story about feeling that something was saying that I needed to talk to him. Mm-hmm. And I said, my name's Daryl Kent, and uh, could we talk? And ironically, there, 10 steps away was a, a bench. And he said, well, let's go over here and sit down. And so I said, well, again, my name's Daryl Kent. And he said, well, I'm so excited that you stopped me. Uh-huh. Uh, my name's Joe, John Osteen. Uh-huh. And John Osteen didn't mean anything to me at yeah. that time of my life. And... Uh, until I found out it was Lakewood Church and mm-hmm. watched some of his services for a week or two on TV. And we sat there in the park for probably close to an hour. And I just, from the very beginning, telling him what yeah. had transpired in my life. And uh, he said, uh, we're going to get you over this. Mm-hmm. He, said, you, he said, I want you to come to my church tomorrow he said, I'm going to put you with some men that you need to talk to and pray with. Mm-hmm. So I went to his church uh, during the week, three straight days. And then at the end of the third day, he sat down with me and uh, he was going to go out of town for a revival somewhere. I think it was in Florida. And uh, he said, uh, well, I just want to talk to you about a few things. Uh, he said, uh, 
I feel that because you stopped and listened to God that you're going to win this victory. Mm. And he said, um, but uh, let's just take a day at a time. But he said, I want you to be, and he gave me some reading material. Yeah. He gave me some tracks and some things about pornography. And, yeah. Uh, that I guess at that moment I was so excited to know that uh, it wasn't just my problem. Right. There was thousands of men yeah. that were having the same problem. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it was finally nice to know that I wasn't on an island all by myself. Mm-hmm. And the last thing he said when I walked out of his office, I mean, we'd set our buys and he gave me all this stuff and we talked. And he said, oh, by the way, he said, I want to caution you about one thing. And he said, um, Satan's kind of had you by the throat for over 30 years. And he said, uh, nobody's more excited about you giving your heart to Christ than I am. Mm-hmm. But he said, nobody's more upset about it than Satan is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he said, uh, if you think you're done with him, you're not. And yeah. I don't mean that you're, you're going to be on a first name basis with him, but right. he's not going to leave you alone. Yeah. You know, he, he hasn't, you haven't been in his life for that long, mm-hmm. been his supporter, yeah. his go-to guy when he needed it, yeah. and now say bye to you and good luck. Right. And he was right. <laughs> yeah, that's some pretty good advice, especially you know for, for thinking about that part of your story. There's, there's so many things here. The, the first one I'm thinking of is obviously for guys and, and for, for girls in, in growing rates that are struggling with pornography. There is... A, a nature to that struggle that is just diabolical. Yeah. That's the only word for it. And it's easy, uh, comparatively speaking, to go a few days, maybe a week, maybe two weeks, um, winning the battle yeah. for your purity. But uh, like you're saying, you can't think for a moment that that's just going to disappear overnight. Now, I mean, and there are stories you know, that you hear where somebody just, all of a sudden, one oh. day is completely changed. But for most of us, that that's not really the story. Um, it's going to be a constant battle, right. kind of what he was telling you. This was this was going to be the beginning of a lifelong battle. Right. And uh, lifelong, I, I think that term just is always just scared me to death. Mm-hmm. You know, um, because I think now that you know, I thirty plus years ago, I gave my heart to Christ, and. Um, I absolutely wouldn't change one second of that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was a divine opportunity for me to, to heal and to understand the process. But most importantly, it was an opportunity to realize that I didn't have to do it alone. Mm-hmm. And no longer was my strength yeah. the only thing I needed. Mm-hmm. What I needed was, is, is that... Uh, I needed someone to put my trust in. I need somebody to ask to watch out for me and mm-hmm. to make me strong when I couldn't be. Right. And shore me up when I couldn't. I yeah. needed it. And um, in 30 plus years, mm-hmm. I've never had him not show up. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's an amazing thing that the Bible promises that the Holy Spirit not only fills us, not only... Uh, does he remake us oh. with a new heart? But he actually reminds us of the truth and encourages right. us and come alongside and help us. And I do wonder how many people feel like they're the only person in the world struggling the way that they are. Well, as far as this goes, pornography, uh, in the last 32 years, I've been absolutely floored by the number of people that are addicted to it. Right. And when I think back into my 20s, which are uh, early age, you know, in the 50s and 60s, I think back is, is that how difficult it was mm-hmm. to feel the addiction back right. then. You know, uh, magazines were behind the counter. Yeah. You know, there wasn't any internet. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the stuff you got from the older neighborhood kid or somebody stole it from their dad and, you mm-hmm. know, had to have the magazine back by two o'clock before dad came home. Mm-hmm. What, whatever. It was right. it was hard to fuel yeah. the addiction. 
Yeah, now now I think of the statistic is you're never more than three clicks away from pornography. Exactly. Yeah. And 5,000 uh, pornography sites come online new mm-hmm. every day. Yeah. Every day. Yeah, it's just unbelievable. So, I mean, the availability... Uh, that that people have to to see it and to partake in it is unbelievable to me. Mm-hmm. But the thing that's so it's been so great to learn about how it works or what captures your mind mm-hmm. is the simplicity of the fact of just seeing an image for less than five seconds. Mm-hmm. You know that image Satan enhances mm-hmm. a thousand times. Yeah, you know, and um, it it just gets you thinking, and it's so hard to get it out of your mind. Right. It's so hard to just put it away and leave it away. Yeah. And uh, when I talk to younger people, uh, and uh, I I look at the some of the things they say, and uh, they really don't have the intensity to believe that it's that destructive. Yeah. If if that's possible. Right. Yeah, I think you know a lot of times we we treat and 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 I've heard a lot of pastors talk about this, you treat your sexual sin as something to manage instead of something oh. to destroy. Yeah. Uh, where it's like well, you know, I'll only give it a little bit. I'll just, you know, I'll just satisfy it a little bit. And there's a lie that, that you believe that, well, if I just do this, then it'll actually make it easier for the next few days or weeks or, or whatever, which is the opposite of what's true. Um, the only way to actually be free is to completely starve and demolish, not to Destroy manage. Destroy completely, right. And, uh, you know, whether that comes through community and accountability and, and, and we'll have some time to talk about, you know, what you would recommend to a, a, a person who's struggling here. You find yourself in a battle and uh, one that you've been accustomed to losing. Mm-hmm. Now you've become a Christian. And um, what happens next? Well, I think the, the first thing for me was is that... Uh, and I realized very quickly, when I say very quickly, maybe within a few days, that what John had said to me about, you know, Satan's not going to leave you alone, mm-hmm. that how I, how I felt so bombarded in that first 72 hours, you know, um, I, I guess listening to John back then, uh, I heard what he was saying, but I was thinking, okay, well, Satan's going to give a, give me at least six month break, you know, yeah. before he yeah. starts crucifying me again. Yeah, and uh, but it wasn't that. I don't even think I had six minutes. But mm-hmm. uh, the thing about it is, is that it didn't take me long to realize the the two most important things. First of all, I couldn't do it without Christ, mm-hmm. and the second most important thing is I couldn't do it without support or accountability. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And uh, I've talked to a lot of men and some women through the years that uh, the biggest problem they have when they want, they say they want accountability Mm -hmm. is going to somebody and they both agree that they're going to do that. Mm -hmm. But then the person with the addiction lies about, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, because now they, now the problem is, is that uh, they don't want to fail in the eyes of the person that they've asked to be accountable for right or two yeah and so they think the best thing to do is instead of coming to say you know i've, I've watched porn every day for the last seven days and i mm-hmm. told you i wouldn't but but they come and say i've been victorious for 14 days now right but then they walk out of there and you could if you're sitting in the restaurant and i've had this feeling this mm-hmm. emotion and you watch them walk to their car Mm-hmm. Their shoulders are slumped over. You can actually tell by body language yeah. that they were, I don't want to say lying to you, but they just didn't want to admit they sure. failed. Yeah. You know, uh, they just couldn't do that. Right. Well, in, in, in sexual sin in every form um, has a quality of hiding to it. Mm-hmm. Even if it's just blatant sexual immorality, right. there's an inner struggle that when you keep things in the dark, they fester, they grow, they, they get a stronger grip. I think of the passage in Ephesians where it says, 
that actually what we're called to do is to bring things into the light, light. because by bringing things into the light, they're going to be healed. And that's where I tell guys that I talk to or that I'm discipling, there actually is no such thing as winning over secret sin secretly. No, it, no. it doesn't exist. No. You, you actually cannot manage your problem that you've had, your struggles, the sins that you're, that you're battling uh, in secret and win in secret. It, you right. actually have to bring them into the light. You have to be honest. You have to be accountable. You have to set up protection against what you know you're going to be tempted to do. Right. That's the only way to be free. And some guys don't want to do that. Well, I think one of the things is, as I think back, uh, when I was under the, this sexual addiction, uh, I had a pretty good life. Mm-hmm. I was in a pornography business, mm-hmm. but I was making a ton of money. Right. Okay. And uh, during that time, I was probably the best tither in the world. Mm. You know, and yeah. so. Uh, God, you just got fifteen thousand dollars this week. Is that right. okay? Yeah, you know. And that, those are, those are those moments where your your conscience is now shifted oh. from laying in bed at night as a kid to trying to push down the feelings of inadequacy and guilt and meaninglessness through even religious activity. Yeah, you know, I think of how many how many people I've encountered in ministry that are faithful churchgoers that are doing all the things that you would think you need to be doing as a Christian, mm-hmm. but they're actually decaying on the inside because they're, they're bound by right. this. I, uh, when Linda and I were first married, we were invited. We were going to a church here in Kansas City called Antioch Family Worship mm-hmm. Center. And we were active in uh, single ministries and several other things. And the pastor of our church asked us, he was going to a pastor conference Mm -hmm. In Phoenix, Arizona, Tommy Barnett's church, Mm -hmm. uh, First uh, Phoenix Assembly, I think was the name of the church. And they had a pastor's convention there for three days, uh, and there was 8,000 pastors there. Mm -hmm. I I just, I was blown away, 8,000 pastors at this thing, and I thought, I told Linda, I said, I can't believe uh, how many people are here. Yeah. And so uh, Tommy got up in the opening ceremony and he said, now we're here for three days, but he said, I want us to understand every man and woman in this room, mm-hmm. why we're here. And he said, so let's start off with this. How many of you have money problems that you're not handling biblically mm-hmm. in your church? And I honestly, I'd say a thousand. He asked him to stand up. Yeah. I, I thought a thousand people stood up. Mm-hmm. And uh, the second question was, is that um, how many of you are cheating on your wives? I want you to stand up. Hmm. And I don't know how many. Yeah. Because as fast as they stood up, they more than, sat down. More than zero. More yeah. than zero, exactly. <laughs> and there was kind of a swoosh yes. when everybody sat down. Yeah. And I'm looking at Linda, she's looking at me, and then the ultimate statement. Uh-huh. How many of you are fighting pornography every day? Yeah. Now, this was in the 1990s, early 90s. Yeah. And I'll bet you over 50% of 8,000 people stood up. Yeah. And I was floored. Yeah. Even though I had known through previous experiences that there was a lot more people dealing with it than I thought. Mm-hmm. But now, if this many pastors are dealing with it, right. what, are, what are these, what do guys like me have a chance Seriously. With? You know, these guys have got to have the tools. No wonder I'm not winning as much as I'd like to win. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it just, it just brought to the forefront of uh, what we all deal with. Right. You know? Yeah, the statistics are pretty clear that, you know, 9 in 10 men are struggling with some kind of uh, pornography, sexual sin of some kind. Right. And uh, the, the church is, is not exempt. Uh, people in ministry struggle. And that just goes back to the lie that you can manage your sin in secret. Yeah. And uh, so 
<clears throat> what I think is really interesting about your story is you have this dramatic conversion and you're now waging the war against sexual sin in your life. There were a lot of changes that needed to take place. Uh, as, a, as a guy in his 40s, built part of his career on this, had obviously been ensnared for, for the majority of your life. Uh, what all had to change? What did you have to do? Uh, well, first of all, I remember thinking that it was going to be easier than I, I listened to myself speak. You know what mm. I'm saying? Uh, well, first of all, you, uh, I got out of the porn business. Mm-hmm. The first thing I did within a matter of months, uh, and not that I, I put it up for, there up for sale immediately, but it took months to sell. I had to get rid of that. Uh-huh. The second thing that I had to do was I had to literally decide that I was going to give Christ as much time mm-hmm. as I was asking him for. Hmm. What so, did that look like? <laughs> well, I'm chuckling now, but I think the tears rolled pretty, pretty strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, to think what I was asking him to do that I couldn't do. Mm-hmm. And I was really wondering... How do you do it? Mm-hmm. How does anybody do it? Yeah. And uh, again, not audibly, but it just struck in my heart that uh, if I can go to the cross for you, you mm-hmm. can go for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, devastating. Yeah. I mean, the, the reality of it was devastating. Right. Not the fact that it was going to occur or that he wasn't going to do it. Right. But uh, he faithfully reminded me frequently in the early stages that uh, a lot of things I was mouthing and I wasn't performing. Right. So uh, he, uh, he did so much. Yeah. Uh, he literally carried my cross mm-hmm. for a long, long time. Yeah. And uh, he was always there with a cup of water. Uh-huh. He was always there to wipe the brow. Right. All the things that he needed, Yeah. we all need. Right. Yeah, I, I, I think, uh, you know, I've obviously seen the fruit of this in your life and the way that you serve and the way that you mentor young men in the way that you give your time and your energy and, and all of your life. But that was born out of a season where you had to learn that taking up your cross is not just a fun Christian saying. So even like you're saying, it's probably surprising for people to hear and say, what do you mean You know, we had to go to the cross for him? He went to the cross, so we didn't have to go to the cross. But it's like you know, when Jesus says, if anyone should come after me, he must take his cross up daily and, and follow me. It, that is an excruciating process, and it's a painful process, and it's something where you have to actually be willing, uh, by the power of, of the Spirit working in us, to lose your life daily, whether that's desires, whether that's goals, whether that's your uh, reputation. I mean, whatever it costs, you, you actually have to go there. And, and the amazing thing about it is if you've ever tried to defeat sin on your own and then, and then you've had um, your relationship with Christ drive sin out of your life, there's a huge difference in effort uh, that's driven by uh, maybe fear of man or right. not wanting to get in trouble or whatever. And then the kind of life that's driven by a love for what Jesus has done for you, the fact that you've been forgiven, you've been given grace, those are two really different fights. Well, I think not only is it two different fights, but not only did I ask God to, to help me defeat the mm-hmm. pornography issue, but after several months of that in a very hard prayer session and uh, uh, a time that I was sharing with a mentor, uh, we prayed and what came up out of that session was not how hard I was battling and how wonderful Christ was being about giving me the tools that I need, Mm -hmm. but it was like God said, okay, you're doing pretty good. Now we got to talk about the other f- problem you got. Mm. And the other problem was all the lives I devastated with the habit. Mm-hmm. 
you know, the ex-wife, yeah. the children, mm-hmm. um, the uh, just just everything. You know, mm-hmm. the relationships that uh, I don't think I didn't have a serious relationship until my freshman year in college. Um, I, I don't remember any of them being being motivated by anything other than sexual. Mm-hmm. Uh, it uh, it was just awful. Uh, I'm ashamed to admit that I was married to my first wife, who gave me three beautiful children. That in 11 years of marriage, I would say that if I was faithful 90 days in mm-hmm. 11 years, that's probably giving me too much credit. Yeah. So you know, kids aren't stupid. Yeah. They see God gives them an inner warning system mm-hmm. about what how they need to protect themselves, what's just not quite right. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I think of all the agony that I put the mother of my children in. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't just that relationship. It was just all kinds of relationships. Sure. Business relationships, other friendships, uh, personal friendships. Uh because pornography, if you learn one thing about it, mm-hmm. and you're good at it, mm-hmm. you're a liar. You're a thief. Yeah. You know, uh, if your lips are moving, that statement you're lying, mm-hmm. you probably are. Because you're working so hard at hiding the truth mm-hmm. that yeah, you can't tell the truth. Right. You know, because that would start an avalanche of, oh my God. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, that that was the beginning of phase two. You know, yeah. you, you had to either decide how you were going to heal those. And no matter how many times you went back and asked for forgiveness, yeah, you know, you, you don't get it all the time. Right. And uh, people slam the door on your face and yeah. call you what you probably are. Yeah. And, uh, and you deserve. Right. But, uh, you know, it's... Uh, the fruit of it is that I would say that three people that I went to um, and confessed in front of them and asked for forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And obviously there was more than three people involved. But I know for a fact that three people within a year accepted Christ in their lives. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, yes, God, you put me in a hot seat. Uh-huh. Yes, you asked me to do something uncomfortable. Yeah. And like I said earlier, that was the part of my cross mm-hmm. that he wanted to know if I was really going to stand up and do what I needed to do. Mm-hmm. Was I going to carry the cross mm-hmm. to where I needed to carry it? Yeah. There's not a better feeling in the world than to understand being forgiven. You know, we, t- we typically think that our best moments are when we're operating out of our strength or gifting or whatever. But you know, the best moments are when you're operating out of what it means to be forgiven, what it means to be given grace. And God does something through that. You know, when Paul says that God's power is made perfect in weakness, mm-hmm. you actually have to be in a position where you are weak. weak. Uh, and then God does amazing reconciliation and bringing people to himself. And um, I guess my, my question uh for everybody listening would be, I've heard you talk to people who are struggling uh, before, and I know that you've mentored uh, a lot of men who have struggled with this. If somebody's listening and is struggling, um, and we use the word struggling in some really interesting ways. Sometimes we mean the word struggling to mean you're actually struggling, and sometimes we use the word struggling to mean you are just doing it without actually thinking about it or trying to resist at all. But um, if, 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 if you're sitting down with somebody who is struggling with lust, with pornography, with sexual sin, what do you say to that person? Well, I, I think the first thing is that I tell my story briefly in how much the weight is taken off of you Mm-hmm. when you actually give it to somebody who can do something about it. Yeah. Okay? And then I, I work through, I've got a, a sheet of 10 Bible passages that I give to all the guys that I speak with and spend time with. And I call it my, what do I want to say, my um, cheat sheet. Mm-hmm. And it's a, uh, 
10 Bible verses that are made or God gave us to build our strength. Mm -hmm. To do, to say, and to pray that in these work. Yeah. But another thing is they don't work if you go to them and pray once a week. Right. You know, uh, I remember uh, saying one time that I'm going to, okay, God, I, you know, I decided I was going to play a game with him. Mm-hmm. We always know how that goes. Yeah. Uh, and I said, okay, I'm going to read these 10 verses every single day. I'm going to pray over these every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I just want to see how long it takes you <laughs> yeah. you to straighten me out. Yeah. And uh, I, I think it was 48 hours. Uh-huh. And, and God said back to me, uh, how come I'm doing all the work here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I said, what do you mean? You're just listening. I haven't seen anything yet. Uh-huh. And uh, the truth of the matter was, is, is that... Uh, once I evaluated what I was asking him to do, in a clear conscience, I knew I hadn't done what he had asked me to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I wasn't right. committed to change. Yeah. You know, I was committed to, uh, well, I used to play a lot of sports and I used to pitch in baseball. And uh, I remembered, uh, I thought when the last time was I pitched a no hitter. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I remember that incredible feeling mm-hmm. of what that was like. And I was a pretty young kid. And uh, I told God, I said, I want that feeling again. Mm. Yeah. And uh, I guess it was about nine or ten months later, I had that feeling again, but I probably pitched a thousand ball games to get there. Sure. You know, I mean, because you've got to think about everything, every pitch you throw. Mm-hmm. You got to think about every battle. You got to think about his weaknesses, his strengths. Uh, but I hadn't been doing that with pornography. Right. I haven't analyzed myself about really what is the weakness. Yeah. What are my strengths? What is it going to take for me to pitch a no hitter mm-hmm. or the perfect game? Yeah. Right. Right. Well, one of the things I've noticed is we're a lot of times we're really good at being creative and deceptive and sacrificing when it comes to enabling our sin. I mean, just think about the lengths that people go to, to sin and to conceal their sin. And think about our own lives, all the sacrifices we've made for our sin. And then all of a sudden the tables turn and now you're starting to resist sin and put sin to death and how lazy and unimaginative and unwilling to sacrifice we become when it comes to putting our sin to death. Like you're saying, we don't think about where am I most prone? What what are the things that really uh, put me on the wrong side of this uh, in a downhill slope? Where are the areas in my own heart that are most susceptible to temptation? And fighting and winning against sin requires that you pour your energy and your thoughts and all that into it. And, uh, you know, you know this if you sit across from a guy who's uh, battling with pornography addiction. You can almost tell immediately if they even have a chance at beating this. A lot of it is how much they understand about what God is doing in their heart, you know, obviously the power of the Holy Spirit. And then some of it is what what level of effort are you willing to put out for this? Do you actually understand what your sin is and what the consequences are. Because until you do, you're not going to put forth the effort to get rid of it. If you, if you just think it's something that is an arbitrary bad choice, you're never going to do what it takes to be rid of it. Instead, you're, you need to see it as the thing that is going to destroy you and your soul forever. And if you believe that, then you're willing to go to whatever length it takes to get rid of it. Well, in, in my case, you know, I didn't go looking for the sin. Mm-hmm. You know, I was young. Right. You know, it was thrusted at me. Uh, but I didn't do anything to get rid of it either. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember when I was an officer's candidate at school at Fort Bend, Georgia, I remember uh, in a map class, mm-hmm. in a tactical class about uh, mapping out strategies. And lulling over these maps for hours and mm-hmm. giving the scenarios of 
where the enemy's going to be and the attack's going to, you know, yeah. all that stuff. And I remember how long it took to map out that strategy to put yourself in a position where you could win uh-huh. every battle. Yeah. And uh, I thought, am I working that hard in winning the only battle that really counts? Yeah. Yeah. Am I working that hard? And the answer at that stage of my life was, I haven't even got past the pre Yeah. You know, th- this is... <laughs> yeah. I'm on page three. Right. And, you know, I just expect God to get me to the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, there's... A, you ask what I tell people. I Again, first of all, don't think Satan's going to give up on you. Mm-hmm. He He's so excited about you giving your heart to Christ that he's, you know, just happy and go lucky and he's moving on. Yeah, that's, know, that's never going to happen. Never going to happen. And uh, what the battle really is going to be. Mm-hmm. You know, how tough is it going to be? Yeah. And uh, I think about all of the lives, and I think this is what I, I tell a lot of people. I think about all of the lives and the hurt mm-hmm. that I caused people, let alone Christ, mm-hmm. that I caused people during that stage of my life, mm-hmm. that hurts so bad mm-hmm. to finally realize that it's not it's not my problem. Yeah, it's it's not even Satan's problem. I'm such a servant uh-huh. of Satan. Yeah, taking lives away from other people. Right. To introduce them or enhance them or entice them to go into this stupid problem. Mm-hmm. And I'm excited about it. Yeah. I, I'm excited that it, it happened, that I got this rare feeling of whatever, euphoria yeah. or, or whatever. But um, you just don't realize how much your brain and body mm-hmm. or how much your brain controls your body yeah and and what it gives out to the world mm-hmm. you know and to think that you know I'm saying I gave my heart to Christ I'm committed to live like Christ I'm committed to be like Christ mm-hmm. but how can I still do this mm-hmm. and I think after you say that to yourself or you experience those experiences and it's not going to be one time. Mm-hmm. It might not even be five times. Mm-hmm. But if you're not saying that to yourself, mm-hmm. moving towards the resolution that it's going to stop. Right. And you're not going to hurt people anymore. Right. And most of all, biblically, you're not going to hurt yourself. Yeah. You know, why am I going to make myself impure? Right. Yeah. I. You know, I think... The Bible is pretty clear that sexual sin is different than, than other sins, and it's a sin against your own body. And uh, if you if you fight and f- you're free from pornography and, and lust for, and I, I, there's some science behind this too, even for a hundred days, mm-hmm. you begin to see the ways that you didn't even realize what that sin was doing. Sin always leaks. There, there is no such thing as a completely private right. sin because you are going to manifest the fruit of whatever you're giving your heart to. And uh, whether that's just the ability to see a woman through the eyes of God as opposed to the, right. the eyes of lust, whether that's um, the ability to control the things that you find funny and all that. I mean, there are so many things that we could go into, but but it actually destroys your heart. Right. And the hearts of those around you. So, to to everybody listening, I would say uh, just to conclude that actually you can win the battle against pornography through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the power of God. And I think for a long time I probably didn't believe that. I think I probably thought that everybody said that said that they were winning was lying, you know. But you can win the battle, and it only comes through Christ. It only comes through accountability and openness and vulnerability, bringing things into the light. And uh, you should talk to somebody about it. You should open uh, that door into your heart and into your life. That's the only way to be free. And that is so important, Cole. I mean, the, um, the thing that is 
you have to realize is, is that, first of all, you're not the only one. Mm-hmm. And today's times, you could probably find a million people to stand behind you today. Yeah, definitely. You know, if you got on a microphone all over the world and said, who's got a problem, and only 1% shows up, you could probably find a million people. <laughs> you're going to find a ton of people. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, I mean, it's if you're not doing that, mm-hmm. you're lying to yourself. Right. Okay? So that's the first thing you've got to mm-hmm. do. The second thing is, though, most importantly, is that um, you just have to know uh, how much it's hurtful Mm -hmm. to all of the people around you or the people that you abuse. Mm -hmm. You know, I talk to a lot of men who've been hooked on pornography for a long, long time. But if you mention child abuse to them, if you mention abuse, period, Mm -hmm. Bullying, go on and think of three or four more things. Right. They are so disgusted yeah. by those things. They just can't understand how, you know, somebody could abuse a child or somebody could have abuse a woman. Right. I got to tell you, every time you have a pornography moment, yeah. you're abusing a woman or you're abusing a child. Yeah. And if you're lying to yourself and that's not the case, Mm -hmm. then please get down on your knees and ask for help. Mm -hmm. And get a mentor that's going to be stronger than you, Mm -hmm. won't take any guff and lies from you, makes you totally accountable 24-7, and you've got a chance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, You've got a chance. Well, Daryl, thanks for sharing your story. I've seen it be powerful in a lot of people's lives in my life. And I'm praying that even more lives who are listening to this. And uh, if you're listening and you need to talk and, and you want uh, to share this with somebody, obviously the best place to do would be in a church. Uh, but if you want to email us, uh, I would love to respond and talk to you info at so we speak.com. So Daryl, thanks for being on here. Thanks for sharing your story. Thanks for uh, giving me an opportunity to um, talk about God's wonderful, wonderful blessing and grace. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the So We Speak podcast. If you like what you hear, go ahead and leave a comment, leave a review, email us, tell us what you like about it, tell us what you'd improve about it. Thanks to all you guys who are listening, and we'll see you next week on the So We Speak podcast. Mm-hmm.